This morning I want to talk to you about hope. Hope is a word that we use a lot in our vocabulary in different ways, and I don't even think that we realize we're using it and that it's not really carrying the meaning that we use when we put it in a sentence. For instance, I hope it doesn't rain. What it really means is I have plans, and if it rains, it's really going to ruin my plan. So if I say it, I hope it doesn't rain, maybe it won't. I'm kind of using it that way. Or maybe we might say, I hope you really know what you're doing. We say that because we're afraid that the person doesn't and what they're going to do is going to blow up in their face and our face. I hope they can fix the car, we might say. I think what we really mean underlying that, because most anything mechanical can be fixed, is that they can not cost as much as we hope it won't and we'll be able to keep going. Or if there's a tragedy, we say, I hope that person will be all right. I think what we really mean there is that they will be able to get back to life as normal. But we're hoping that because we know that tragedy so much can affect our lives in different ways. Or maybe today, I hope we get through this pandemic. What do we really mean there? We mean that I hope no one I know or love dies. I hope that life will go back to normal someday, that there'll be an end to this. I hope I don't have to suffer too much because of what's going on. See, we use it like a talisman against things, something bad might overtake us. And we sometimes think that'll prevent it because if we say we hope that won't happen. And there's misplaced hope too. Hope that we put into the wrong things that can't deliver the way we want it to. You know, in the last century, a well-known illusionist and magician and escape artist, Harry Houdini, was known for all his daring tricks, but during his lifetime, he spent most of his earnings trying to work with different spiritualists and mediums to contact his dead mother. He went through many that he found were charlatans, but he believed this could happen. It was so important to him in his life that he made a deathbed packed with his own wife, Bess, and he said to her that he would contact her from the dead and that she needed to be ready. So for 10 years, his wife lit a candle with his picture by it, waiting for him to contact. And finally, after 10 years, she blew out the candle, put the picture away, and said, that's it. Death is the end. There is nothing more. You see how we use hope? And I say all that because today's gospel lesson deals with hope. It's a scene about hope of waiting for a different outcome, of hope that is misplaced because it's put into the wrong place, of hope that didn't deliver in the ways that the disciples we find on the road to Emmaus found it. Let's hear those words again. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other. You see, it's the same day. It's Easter. But it's not the morning anymore. They had left from the morning. And they hadn't seen Jesus as the other disciples had. And so they're living the scandal of the cross. Not the glory of Easter of the risen Christ. And they're not just recounting what has happened. The Greek word for discussing really has an emphasis to it that they are trying to resolve tension. We would say trying to come to grips with what's going on. Well, what would that look like? 
For instance, Jeremiah 23.5 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And the tension is, but he's dead. Where is that king that was going to be raised up for us? Or Psalm 2, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Well, I'm sure the tension is they're saying, well, Rome still rules us. We're still oppressed. Where is our king? Or maybe it was a picture from the book of Daniel, that picture of the Son of Man that you see, that word that Jesus used so often, that title that he liked, and that picture in Daniel where nations are crushed beneath his feet. But it hadn't happened. So you can imagine that discussion. You can imagine that tension. Don't we do the same kind of thing in our lives a lot of time? We know that verse from Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And when our lives end up in a mess, we try to resolve that tension too because we try to come to grips with saying, well then, why would God allow this to take place in my life? You see, the problem is their story, what they thought the outcome was supposed to be, wasn't exactly what, it, what they thought. It's going to take a turn because we see in this gospel that Jesus begins to walk down the road with them. They don't know it's Jesus. We do because we see that in the gospel. But they're astounded as they talk to Jesus, this stranger who's come alongside, because he has no clue what they're talking about. They don't know, and the weekend's events don't mean anything to this person. And so they tell him about what has taken place. It says this, These things about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to dwell on those words for a minute. We had hoped. You see, every one of us, eventually in our lives, will say those words at some time. Maybe we had a life plan in our story that we would graduate college and then we would someday marry. We would get a good job. We would raise a family. Someday we'd have grandkids from that family and then we would retire and then we would travel. But in that story different things happen. The story might have an epilogue on it, but he didn't love me, or that he died of cancer, or that our daughter ran away, or that I lost my job, or that I turned to substance abuse. We had hoped. Those words come to us in many different ways, and they're saying the same thing. We had hoped. For them, the ending of what they saw at the cross didn't fit their story of what they thought the Scriptures revealed to them. They think they know their story, but crucifixion? Crucifixion isn't part of their story. And what's going to happen in this story is that Jesus is going to tell them the true story, that they've got their story wrong about the outcome, about what the scriptures say. And that's why Luke records these words. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, their story was that they were going to be a powerful nation chosen by God. They were going to defeat Rome. They were going to live out their lives in in that glory and that splendor, and there were going to be no problems. It was going to be a perfect life for them. But Jesus tells them, here's the real story. The real story is about sin and a broken world, about separation from God and about God's action to fix it. It's not a story about a powerful earthly nation. It's a story about power in weakness, the cross. It's not a story about Rome had defeated their Messiah on the cross, but it's a story that God had defeated sin and death and the devil on that cross. It wasn't a story about human history not being about the struggle of nations and everything around that. It was about one man's defeat of all things. Jesus' version of their story, as he told it to them, changed everything for them. It gave them hope. That's why they said these words after they had heard it. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You see, I think what happens so much in our lives is we get caught up in our version of our story. We forget as followers of Jesus Christ, our story has the promise of Easter written over it. If we live long enough, our story, the one that we craft on our own, will have in it disappointment and heartache and suffering. And we can feel like it might have no meaning or no purpose, and we can feel hopeless because of the outcome of our story the way that we envisioned it. Well, just think about it. On March 1st, we all thought we knew our story. Words like global pandemic, sheltering in place, social distance, N95 masks. None of those words were even part of our story back then. But now they are. And we can begin to feel in our story that it's bleak, that it's empty, and that it's hopeless. But over our lives is another story. You see, in our baptism, the outcome of our story changes. When Paul says these words that we are buried with Christ, it means that our story ends in baptism and the new one begins because he says now we are raised to life in Jesus Christ. Now throughout our story, true hope that comes from Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross and the empty tomb becomes intertwined in our story. Hear these words from Paul in Romans 5, 1 through 5. He says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
You see, now when our version of the story changes and we say we had hoped, the power of Easter, the power of the resurrection, the power of new life, the power of Jesus walking with us on our road, the power of his word reopening our eyes rewrites our story with true hope. This hope, hope that we have in Jesus, the risen Christ, changes everything. That's why Paul is able to say this hope doesn't disappoint because the end of our story is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's written for us in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's written for us in heaven that he will be with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will come to take us to be with him, that his power is stronger than any power in the world because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he has promised us eternal life in the waters of our baptism. You see, that's the hope that we have as people of Easter, even in the midst of the crisis that we're going through. May that hope be renewed in you today. May that hope strengthen you once again. May you find in that hope, the hope of Jesus intertwined in your life forever, that it gives you strength and power for each day that you live. We pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the power that you bring to our lives and the true hope that comes from your story. The story of death being defeated, the story of sin being broken, the story of Satan being vanquished, the story that continues on in an open tomb and a victory that we have because you have given it to us through the waters of our baptism. May we ever remember that your story written over us is the true power of our lives. And when our story takes a turn that we didn't expect, we can find solace and strength and true hope in you once again. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for your resurrection, your power, and thank you for your presence in our lives. All of this we ask in your name. Amen.